Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hey, what's going on, guys? I have a special guest, Jeremy Knopf. He's an entrepreneur, digital marketer, author, proud father, husband, and U.S. Marine Corps veteran. Today, he runs Spartan Media out of Tampa, Florida, a digital marketing agency. Welcome, Jeremy. How are you doing today? Doing awesome, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited to have you here on the Clocked In podcast. So let's let's just start where it all started. How did you decide to get into the Marines? Is that what, what happened there? Yeah, so I've always been the kind of person that likes to take on challenges that other people are afraid of, you know, go and do things that everyone else thinks is impossible. And, uh, you know, the Marines, I think most people would agree, is easily one of the most difficult branches. You know, it's a lot harder. It's, uh, it's kind of like uh, in the bigger picture of our military, it's kind of like the, uh, the stepbrother that nobody really likes. So. <laughs> You know, we get all of the government's hand-me-downs. We don't really get funded, but, you know, we're doing all of the, the really hard things out there. We're, we're living a, a tougher life and we're, you know, just doing things that other people think are a little too uncomfortable or a little too rough. And what, just to explain to the audience, what, what do the Marines actually do? How long were you there? Uh, well, I mean, the Marines have a singular purpose and that's to kill the enemy. So, uh, <laughs> You know, it's, just, it's really as simple as that. Obviously, there's a lot of different types of jobs within the Marine Corps, but all of them serve a support role for that sole purpose, um, which I was in the infantry. That was, that was my job was to, you know, go out, find the bad guys and, and make them not be bad guys anymore. So, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I decided this in, I believe it was my, probably my sophomore year in high school, I decided that this is what I was going to do. And, uh, you know, spent the next couple of years training, getting in shape and kind of preparing my mind and went on and did that after high school. And now going, when you were decided that in high school to go to the Marines, was there a thought past the Marines? I mean, there always is, right? At at the time, I thought I was going to go out. This was going to be a 20-year thing. I'm going to, you know, be a lifer, go in and spend my career in the Marine Corps and then retire after... 20 years or more. And, you know, for a variety of reasons, it didn't play out that way. And, uh, you know, towards the end, I decided I was going to get out, start a business and, and kind of do my thing. And, you know, that's the path that I ended up taking. And why'd you hop 
that entrepreneurial journey. A lot of people would go, I'm, uh, you were in the military, so I know how to take orders. I should just go get a job. <laughs> um, I was not the kind of person who really thrived in the world of being told what to do. Um, I kind of, I did okay in the military. Well, I did great in the military despite that because I was very good at the things that I did. Um, you know, I, I regularly outperformed what was expected of me. So I would, I would kind of get away with things that other people wouldn't, and maybe I probably shouldn't have gotten away with. Um, but going out into the civilian world, you know, in the military, there's a very high standard across the board, right? Physical, mental, um, you know, you're, you're going to do the right thing, whether it's convenient or not, you're going to do the right thing, whether it's a pain in the ass. Um, in the civilian world, you don't have that same kind of standard. You have a lot of people who are lazy. They're not doing the things that they need to do. They're not performing to the level that they should. So for me, um, taking orders from somebody who's already not doing the right thing, just, it, it felt completely insane to me. So, um, I did work at a couple of places, uh, and you know, that didn't go so well. There was, you know, I remember my first job out of the Marine Corps. I had basically taught myself graphic design. I taught myself marketing. I taught myself all of these skills. And I remember I applied for this job. I called them on the phone. Uh, and this was back, you know, when we, you're probably, how old are you, Jordan? 24. Okay. So you're a lot younger. So maybe you don't remember. We had this antique thing called the phone book. All right. This big, thick thing about this big. And it just had in your local area, um, everything, all the businesses, all the people, everything. So what I did when I got out was I looked through the phone book. I found all of the like print shops, ad agencies, uh, you know, sign shops, and started calling people looking for a job. And I talked to this one lady, and she's like, look, we're not hiring, but if you want to come by and drop off your resume, I'm happy to take a look. Well, I went down there, showed her my work, and I had never done this as a job. This was all self-taught. I had you know, taught myself graphic design, designed all this stuff. And that's what I went down there and showed her, you know, and we talked about the, you know, the concepts behind some of these things that I had designed, why they were set up certain ways, um, why I picked certain uh, layouts, whatever the case was. And, uh, you know, as she saw the work, she's like, all right, well, we don't have a job, but like, we're, we're not going to miss out on this. We're going to hire you. So they gave me a job on the spot um, within, I don't know, it was a couple of months. I had basically learned everything in that shop. And I had taken the job of like four people, which was not, it wasn't ideal. It wasn't ideal for me. It wasn't ideal for, for the business because they basically threw the work of, I forget exactly how many it was. I think it was about four people, four, maybe five people. And so now I was expected to do the job of all of these people because, you know, technically I was able to, well, there's no way to manage that. That's just not realistic. Um, and then kind of the, the straw that broke the camel's back was, the owner of this particular place, she decided that since I could handle pretty much everything on my own, she was just going to go out and, you know, not show up, which that's fine. It's her place. But then when clients would come in, they didn't want to talk to her. They wanted to talk to me instead. So that kind of pissed her off. And, uh, you know, we ended up parting ways. It was kind of a mutual decision. And, uh, you know, from there I went to a, a software company, uh, got a lot of background in sales. Uh, it was a, well, was 
Go ahead. To interrupt you before, yes. I just want to know what what the listeners should hear and what Jeremy did there was they said, we do not have an opportunity, but you can drop off your resume. And he made an opportunity. And this happens with a lot of people. You got to make it happen, whether you're, whether they provide it or whether you have to walk up there, knock on their door and say, hi, I'm Jordan. How are you doing? I'm going to sell you something today. It, it doesn't matter what it is. You got to push the door down and try to make that happen. Everyone's so quick nowadays to go. That person kind of said no. So I don't think it's a good fit for me. So you got to see things before they actually happen. So you got to follow through like Jeremy did. Absolutely. And I think that's a skill that most people don't have. And it's not that they, they can't have it. It's just that they choose not to. They just take a no as, you know, at face value. Oh, well, they said no. So no. Well, no, they said no, but that doesn't mean no. Like, you know, you can go over the wall, go around the wall, go under the wall, blow the damn wall up. There's a million ways to get to where you want to go. Most people are told so much nowadays what is right and what is wrong. And you speak out of line in this certain context. Yeah. And people are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. And you're like, I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. Like, it, and it, it's just entertaining and, it, and it's good to see that that was part of your path and that's what's allowing you to strive because so many people are held back on, my boss said this, this person said this, and you really got to keep an eye open and see what they're doing and see if it's good for you. Right. Absolutely. And, and that's the thing is you always have to look out for what's right for you. Um, people are going to tell you no, people are going to not create opportunities for you. So you're going to have to, if you're getting no's, you're going to have to find a different way to get to that yes. You're going to have to create the opportunities that you're looking for because nobody's going to hand that to you. They're busy looking out for themselves. It's not out of malice, right? They're just busy trying to do what's right for them. So that's why we all have to be so much more proactive in looking out for what's right for ourselves. Yeah. So let's go back to your story about how you were going from this marketing job to now your boss is kind of telling like, giving you all the shop and you're like i can't and she's getting upset at you you could have complained and just deterred yourself and so sure. w- what's the mindset when you're like i'm out of here well it was it was uh it was kind of a mutual frustration i was frankly i was pissed because i had the job of five other people dumped on top of me i didn't get an increase in pay of course but it always happens that way exactly right so i had all of this extra work to do I wasn't getting any support. I mean, most days I was in, I mean, she basically fired everybody else and I was the one doing everything. So I'm running the whole damn place. She's coming in when she feels like it and which is fine, but you, you can't come in when you feel like it and then get pissed off when the clients want to talk to the person who they're used to dealing with all the time. So we kind of had this come to Jesus moment where we both decided, look, this isn't working for either of us. Uh, I packed up and left. And, and that was that. From there, I went and broke out the newspaper and started looking for, for new jobs. Found this software company uh, nearby. It was probably an hour away. Um, so for the next year or so, I had a wonderful hour commute each way. And I was at this uh, software company doing telephone sales. Um, but the cool thing about it was they had this process so just, it was refined, like to an insane level. So the entire sales process, like if you were talking to a potential client on the phone and you said a particular thing, cause they had this all pretty much scripted out. I mean, like you might tweak it a little bit, but it's generally scripted out. 
And based on you saying something, I could almost verbatim say what that prospect was going to say on the other end of the phone. I mean, they had it so dialed in. And I feel like that was a really valuable part of my, um, you know, my trajectory because sales is a skill that a lot of people don't have, right? Now, you're, you, you come from a financial background, so there's a lot of sales involved in that. Uh, how often do you see somebody that's really, really good at sales? Yeah, exactly. There's many people who are very afraid of sales. Absolutely. And they're like, no, 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 I don't want to do that. I want to stay in my safe place. I want to do the operations work. I want to keep my head down. I want It's Friday. I don't want to order. <laughs> I just want to chill. Um, so question to you, why yeah. – what allowed you you're – domin- you're doing very well in the digital marketing space. Mm-hmm. What allowed you to parlay that into sales? Not in the sense of – you, you were good at digital marketing. You could have gone up that ladder and just gone to another shop. Right. So initially, so th- there wasn't much digital back then. You have to realize this was back in 1999. Okay. So the digital was all like, this was all purely experimental at that side. I was at the time just kind of starting to learn uh, HTML. Um, th- there really wasn't many places where anybody knew how to build a website, right? It was just this small fringe group of people. Um, so there wasn't a huge market for it at the time, uh, at least in, in the area where I was. Well, there really wasn't a huge market for it anywhere, right? It existed, but it was kind of sporadic. It's not like it is today where like literally everyone has a website, right? Um, that just wasn't a, as common a thing. I mean, most businesses didn't even have websites yet. So I figured, well, let me just do something different. Let me find something that I can grab some job right away because I'm not the kind of person who's going to not be working ever. Um, I mean, I started working when I was 12. So, so the idea of being without a job was just a foreign concept to me. Um, so I went and I, I found some jobs. I, I interviewed, I called around and there was the one, the software company that I ended up talking to. And it was, it was just a really interesting concept. And, you know, it was a big company. I, I, I liked that because I kind of grew up in a little bit of a small town. So I liked that concept of getting out into a big company. Um, you know, I worked there for, uh, I think it was about a year and, and just built my sales skills. And I figured this is something I'm going to need anyway, right? Up to that point, I did not have the ability to sell. Um, I picked it up very quickly, both because I'm very driven and because they had a great process. Um, it was a very well-defined, um, everything from picking up the phone to that last, you know, when you hang it up, every aspect of it is just totally laid out for you. So I was able to use that then in the rest of my career, because as an entrepreneur, sales is the foundation of everything that you're going to do. And I mean, the reality is for all of us, sales is really the foundation, right? Whether you're an entrepreneur or you're a parent, right? You have to sell your kids on the idea that eating broccoli is a good idea. You know, you're a doctor, you have to sell that fat guy on the idea that he has to stop eating cheeseburgers, right? So we all have to sell in our lives in varying ways. Um, but it's especially important for entrepreneurs. So I, I found that to be a, a foundational uh, moment for me. Uh, but then from there, when I decided to move on from that, uh, I, was, I was interviewing around. I happened to stumble across this uh, job listing, and I kind of went back and forth on it, right? It was, it was at an ad agency from a, a guy who was, a, he was very experienced in that industry. He had been running agencies for like 30 years. Um, I had the job listing. I had it highlighted. It sat on my desk at the house. It probably was there for about a week before I finally decided to 
call them, set up an interview and, and go down there. Right. And this girl that I was dating at the time, she kind of talked me into it. She's like, look, you know, just go like what, what's the worst that can happen. And for context, why I was hesitating was they wanted, uh, they wanted a particular level of, uh, formal education. I don't remember whether it was a BA or an MA, but then, uh, they also wanted a particular amount of years of experience in the field, which I really had neither of these, right? I went and worked at a place for a few months before that went to hell. And, uh, all of my experience besides that was pretty much self-taught. So on paper, I was not a fit for this particular role. So she's like, well, look, you know, talk to them. It was literally, I could drive there from my house in about 40 seconds. So she's like, look, talk to them. What's the worst they're going to say? No. All right, fine. So I called them and, uh, the, the owner has got, this guy's name was Dave. He had been in this industry forever. And he was basically winding down in this quiet little town, running his agency and just kind of no pressure, you know? So I talked to him and he's like, look, we've been interviewing for about two weeks. He said, right now I've got it nailed down or narrowed down to two people. Um, one of them has a master's in fine arts and several years of experience. And the other one has a BA and several years of experience. He says, so I'm probably not going to hire you, but you're welcome to come down and interview if you want. So there we go. I drove down there and same as before, you know, we went through my work and he looked at, you know, how certain things were laid out, how, how I approached certain um, solutions. And as he's asking me these questions, as we're talking through this, he's like, well, why is this here like this? I was like, well, this, da, 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 you know, talking about certain design principles. And he's like, you know, I'm really impressed because this is the kind of stuff you would learn. Like if you're going to college for a master's in fine arts, like this is not the kind of thing that people just figure out on their own. Um, so the short version is he ended up hiring me on the spot. I went in with no experience, no real experience, right? Nothing significant and certainly no college degree. And I ended up beating out two people with significant college experience, formal education and years of experience in the field. So it's just another example of like, if you want a thing, go for it. You know, don't sit around waiting for something to land in your lap because it's probably not going to happen that way. Definitely. And I think that's one of the most important things because there's so many people that they'll get a job or they'll look for a new job and they go five years. I don't think anyone cares that it says five years. They made that five years ago. <laughs> that, that, that these job descriptions are just kind of formulated out of let's repurpose this, let's repurpose this, let's repurpose yeah. this. Well, and a lot of times it's complete bullshit. So there's this, there, there's this, I, there was a job listing somewhere in, this was in the software development side and just for, you know, to see what would happen. So there's a particular, do you know anything about programming? Uh, not too much. Okay. So there's different types of frameworks for certain things, right? Um, like for PHP, you've got like Laravel, for example, there, there's all these different frameworks for different, um, programming languages. And, um, and I can't remember exactly whether this was a framework or whether it was like the whole programming language that the guy had invented, but somebody had put a listing out for a job for whatever that thing was that this particular guy had invented. And they had asked for like three years experience. So he applied for it and there's, you'll probably see it because you know how uh, Facebook and phones and all this stuff are, when you start talking about something, it shows up. Um, you'll probably see it now that we're talking about it, but basically he had invented this whole system and they were hiring somebody for that and they were demanding uh, like three years experience. And he applied and said, well, you know, 
I have everything except the three years of experience because I only invented it last year. You know, so I mean, they're asking for something that's physically not even possible. Yeah, exactly. Or you have some of these MBA jobs. Uh, we're going to pay $15 an hour with five years experience. <laughs> and you're like, what am I supposed to do here? And there's so many people that are so lost. And that's why I think a lot of people move to the entrepreneurial space because they have to take control back and they want to make their own jumps. And um, I think that's the direction that we're seeing the whole, the whole world really going to, right? Because the, a lot of businesses have unrealistic expectations. At the same time, a lot of, a lot of people, uh, potential employees, have unrealistic expectations. You know, you got these businesses that want, like you're saying, you know, five years experience and an MBA and they want to pay you 10, 15 bucks an hour, which is ludicrous. But at the same time, you've got these kids coming out, like nothing but a college uh, diploma. And they're like, yeah, we want $80,000. Like, no, where, what, what possible justification could there be? So um, I think it's good for the people who have the qualifications, not necessarily a degree, but the actual skills, right? Because I don't, I don't put too much value on a formal education, right? Unless you're a doctor or a lawyer, that generally doesn't matter much in the real world. Um, so for those people, it gives them a good avenue to get to where they want to go without having to put up with a lot of unrealistic shit. On the other side of it, for the employees, you know, when these young kids come out and they, they have unrealistic expectations of what they're worth in terms of salary, when they go out into the real world, because, of course, nobody's going to pay them $80,000 a year for nothing, when they go out and they're like, oh, well, I'll just start my own business, and then they go out and test their concept in the market, their business usually fails, and now they've learned a really valuable lesson. What's that lesson? Well, I mean, the, ultimately, whatever it is, whether you're a job or whether you're um, starting your own business, like the market's going to dictate what you're worth. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I completely agree with that. And you can kind of decide because some people will go, okay, if I got into this company, I'll be an officer, I'll be an AVP, I'll be a VP, and I'll move up the list. But it takes right. so many years. And then some people are like, no, I'm worth that now. So then they right. go and try to prove that. And with the market, it will always decide and dictate what you're actually worth. I completely agree. Absolutely. So, I mean, and that, that, was a, that was a lesson I had to learn uh, around that same time. I did start my business and I started a web design business in a little tiny sleepy town called Spring Hill in Florida. Uh, you might know where that is. Basically, it's a tiny little town. And I did this, of course, 20 something years ago. I tried to start a web design company at a time when most businesses didn't have websites. And at the time I also had no sales skills, which was why I ended up working at that software company for a while. Um, but I was given a very harsh lesson and reality was put right in my face. And I learned that I didn't have the sales skills. So, as a result, I ended up crashing that company. I went bankrupt. I burned through all of my savings. I destroyed my credit. And I spent the next several years trying to recover from that. And what's your mind state? Because everyone can look at where you're at today, but what's your mind state when you go that low? Uh, you know, at that time, it was pretty devastating, man. That, that puts a real beating on your confidence, right? I had a significant amount of money I had saved up. I was still very young, um, but I, I had burned through well into six figures. 
and destroyed my credit. So, you know, you've got this mindset of like, well, am I a complete failure? Because everything I just worked for up to this point is gone, not even gone, but like I'm in the negative at this point. So it, it does a lot to your self-confidence. It does a lot to your self-worth. Um, but if you, if you can be objective and, and look at it realistic and say, yeah, I screwed up. I, I dropped the ball. I didn't have X, Y, Z skills. I should have, I should have, uh, taken whatever steps were necessary to, to build these skills so that I could have built this into what it could have been. Um, when you can uh, realistically acknowledge your weaknesses and your mistakes, that's where the growth comes from. You know, we all have this idea that we're going to go pick an idea and just skyrocket to success. The reality is it's not going to happen like that. You're going to learn so much more from your failures than you ever will from your successes. So while things like that are painful, they're also incredibly valuable. But the problem is most people, either it happens and then now they're gun shy, so they don't ever want to make a mistake again, so they're overly cautious, or they just don't ever do anything that could ever risk failing to begin with. And in both cases, you never really achieve anything. Yeah, and you never get to be the fullest of yourself in your friendships, your, in your business, in your community involvement, because you haven't really put yourself out there. Absolutely. You know, I'm of the mindset that I would much rather go to my grave with a bunch of things that I put my entire effort into, and maybe some of them went well, some of them went terribly. I'm okay with that. I would have that every single day rather than ever wanting to look back and, and have some kind of regret that, well, maybe I didn't try hard enough on this, or maybe I didn't push through, or maybe I gave up too early. That regret is going to kill you, man. That, that is the thing that I can look back on. There's a couple things in my life that I didn't do that I wish I had. And uh, those are the things that really haunt me. Man. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things, what you're mentioning, how you went from how you blew all your money on this first venture. Mm -hmm. If you think about it and you got objective, like you were saying, there's some people who have saved up no money <laughs> <laughs> and haven't even tried. And it, it's funny to think about, but it's true. Like, you don't have to compare yourself to the next guy, but you have to compare yourself to yourself. And you're like, okay, I saved up all this money. I'm ready to go. This is the jump. If we go down to zero, we go to zero. What happens? Right. Nothing. And, and even if you look at some of the people like, like uh, Ray Kroc, founder of McDonald's, he was, I don't remember exactly how old, but I think he was somewhere in his sixties when he started that, you know, and now it's one of the most successful companies in the world. Um, uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken was another one. That guy was well into his 60s, maybe even 70s. I don't remember for certain when he started that. Um, so, like, no matter where we are, you know, you could go to zero and then become a massive success the next year. So, it's not it's not the end of the world when we make a mistake, even if we go to zero, even if we go below zero. Yeah, and you always got to realize that. So, like that perspective that you just explained to me, you're like, oh, you can come back and make a fortune next year you got to get around those people who believe like that. Cause if you're around your friends who go, Oh dude, you're a loser. You have no money. <laughs> like that doesn't help anybody. And that just is yeah. going to bring you down. So it's surrounding who you're with. Yeah. Course. Well, and, and you actually bring up a really important topic there. So there's, there's two components to this one. You know, we hear Gary Vee talk about this a lot. Don't worry about what other people think. Who the hell cares? Right? Like when you can get to a point where you care about what you care about and that's it. You're not worried about what some troll online is saying, or you're not worried about what your friend who's never accomplished anything is saying. You're worried about, this is what I want to, I want to accomplish. I'm going to take these steps to get there. 
this is what's necessary. It's going to look like X, Y, or Z in the process. And I'm okay with that. It's maybe not going to, you know, maybe you're driving a kind of beat up car for a little while while you're getting to there, but you're setting this foundation. You're building this stage to get there, right? So we have to know that we are working towards whatever it is that matters to us and everybody else's opinion on that, good or bad, right? Because of course, it's easy to think about the bad, right? We want to we want to not pay too much attention to that, but also the good, because when you start, you know, looking at the praise and people are saying, oh my God, you're awesome. Like, I love what you're doing. This is great stuff, blah, blah, blah. When you're looking at that, that can be just as dangerous as looking at the negative, right? And I'm not saying to totally discount it. There's, there's value in that positive side, but also when you pay too much attention to it, you get this kind of puffed up ego. And you get the sense that, well, I'm great and everything's always going to work out. And that's not the case. Um, the other side of it is getting around the right people. So I know you interviewed Mike not too long ago, uh, founder of Board of Advisors. Yeah, Mike um, Calhoun. Yeah. So basically, um, you know, his business, for the, for the listeners who aren't familiar, is basically a large mastermind group, right? It's about 160 or so pe- people who are at the top of their industries, so these are people who are absolutely brilliant, absolutely crushing it. They're driven and they want to succeed. And they're in this group because they want to be around other like-minded people. So we get away from those dumbass friends who are like, oh, well, let's just go and sit here and watch Netflix. No, let's, let's figure out how to crush this industry and grow and, and become better people, not just business, but better people all the way around, right? And it's having those, those relationships where your friends – have the same mindset. They don't have to be in the same industry. They don't have to be working towards the same goals, but they have their own goals and they're very driven and they want to continually get better. And they're going to call you out on your shit because most people won't do that. Most of our friends are not going to say, Hey dude, you're, you said you want to do this and you're screwing off over here with Netflix or you're you know playing video games instead of doing this thing. What's going on? You know, when we have those kind of relationships in our life, that helps us get where we want to get a lot faster. Definitely. And I love that. The accountability that you're talking about there is par none because there's so many people that you get around that throw out all these ideas. Like if I just pursued this, I'd be, I'd, I'd crush it. And it's like, <laughs> well, let's take some action on that idea. Yeah. So back to your story, your business owner flops, go yeah. into the marketing job, then get into the sales shop. And I liked how you parlayed those because you realized I have this skill. I just have to prove it. And then the sales, I need to learn this skill. Right. So then what, ha- what happens next? So after I left, I left that agency eventually and I had a particular business in mind and I was going to go and start that, but I wanted to kind of brush up on my sales skills. So I took a job at a newspaper for a little while, sold advertising for there. Um, I, I think I did that for just a few months and then bounced somewhere else to some mortgage place. And then eventually I'm just like, all right, you know what? I just need to do my thing. Stop, you know, dabbling in in these other, I mean, I obviously the mortgage and the advertising sales, I was doing that to kind of get back up to speed on sales again, because it had been a couple of years where I was at this agency. So I wanted to kind of brush up on that. And then once I felt like I was in a decent place, I just went ahead and and jumped all in, started my business. And And, not not to interrupt, but when you say, in a good place. Mentally. What do you mean mentally? Yeah. Finan- financially? Like what? No, experience? not, not so much financially. Um, financially things were still tight, but, um, it was more the, the mindset, right? Because 
when you lose everything, that's going to leave a mark on you. So you have to kind of like rebuild your psyche. You have to get back to a point where you, you know, you believe that you're able to do certain things and, and you have the mindset to positively do that, right? You have to be able to, when you're going out, you're talking with a potential client, you have to be confident, right? Like if you're desperate, nobody's going to buy anything from you. So I had to get my mindset right. And when I got to a point where I felt like my mindset was right, then I just jumped all in. And, you know, one of my first clients, uh, we took them from, they were actually on the verge of bankruptcy. They had shut down their business, or, well, shut down their office, not their business. They had shut down their business. They pulled everything out of, or not the business. So that twice now. Yes, thank you. Um, they pulled everything into their house. They were operating out of the house. Um, they were like the manufacturer of their product, like had them on, like they had to pay every week because they had been not paying their bills. <laughs> and uh, the same with their shipper. They had a particular freight company that was sh- transporting their prod- products went from the manufacturer to the consumer. Um, they were, they had to pay for each order as it shipped. They weren't allowed to have any kind of credit. Um, they were just, they were absolutely decimated. So I came in, we took them from that situation to within a year landing a $54 million deal with Hilton. And, uh, yeah, we absolutely crushed it online for them. We, we piggybacked off of a lot of their competitors marketing and we had it to where, if someone searched for one of their competitors online, they would come up instead. So it was just like, it was just an absolute massive, massive success. And that turned into a $54 million deal, which then later turned into a somewhere in the range of 200 million worldwide. And, um, you know, then from there, I just kind of kept, you know, building it up, growing. And, you know, that went on for several years. I think that started around 2005 and then, a few years ago, I what, had sh- before you jumped into that. When you were yeah. doing that, and they were bankrupt, how how are they paying you? Or was it like uh, what was the plan there? Because I feel like how, how yeah. they uh, they were they were paying me a very very small retainer, um, and I wanted my first client, so I accepted it. Absolutely crushed it. Way over delivered, obviously. Um, and, you know, then went on, proceeded to get additional clients from there. Yeah. And I, I just want to hop on that point because it, you're not going to come in here and be able to bark out, hey, you owe me a $100,000 contract or a million dollars or multi-million dollars. Right. People, you have to go and do somewhat of free work and to prove yourself to go, hey, talk to my guy over here. He, he seems pretty happy. Right. I don't. I don't so much agree with the concept of free work because I know that has a tendency to be abused and most people early in their careers, they don't have the right mindset to put appropriate boundaries on that. Um, I I think if you're going to do free work, you should probably do it for some kind of nonprofit rather than, than a regular company. Um, well, when I, when I meant free, I was, I get what you're saying, but I was referring to lower, lower wages. Like, Right. I get what you're saying. I, I, and I agree. I, we just, the, I just wanted to kind of clarify. That's good. To, that's good to point out. Yeah, definitely yeah. good to clarify because whenever people do something for free, the, the value is not respected. Yes. Agreed. Even if you provide a ton of value, people do not care. Absolutely. Absolutely. It definitely, it, it decreases the perceived value. Like you could absolutely crush it. And we, you know, we did have that kind of thing happen in that case, right? 
Um, we kind of uh, parted ways. Uh, definitely, we we haven't communicated in years. Um, we we did stuff for them on and off for a while, and it was one of those cases where they just eventually they just expected all kinds of things for free, and you know it just wasn't a it wasn't a good fit. Yeah. So, um, but you know that being said, uh, that then segued into other clients, and I, I just kept growing, kept growing. Um, ran with that for years, and then I was I was going to take a year off and just kind of take a break, which I did. And then as I started back up after taking a year off, I was getting ready to, I basically had a company spun up. It was just named after me as my own personal name while I'm kind of creating the branding for it and getting everything ready. Um, and then I got hit with this health crisis. And to this day, we're not sure exactly what it is, which is uh, an interesting situation to be in. Uh, we've been trying to figure this out for about six years now, but that almost killed me. And so for basically uh, two years, I was pretty much bedridden. So from there, you know, I, I burned through basically everything we had built back up at that point, um, you know, between not working and also having a lot of medical expenses, there was a lot of cost involved and not much revenue coming in. So uh, the first two years, like for the first, for the first year of that, I pretty much, I didn't leave the house. I didn't get out of the bed or off the couch. Um, following that, the only time I would leave was pretty much, so for the second year, pretty much the only time I would leave would be if I was going to a doctor's appointment or something. Um, we just kept chipping away at whatever this mystery health condition was. You know, I'm still going through it, but we've, we've made some progress. Things are a lot better. And, uh, you know, it was a really good lesson in overcoming adversity for me. Um, I always, that was always a strong point for me anyway, but this definitely pushed my boundaries. Um, you know, I was the guy in the Marine Corps that, you know, do you know what a hump is or a forced march? No, no, no. Okay. So you ever seen like when they're, you know, you, they're all loaded up, they've got the giant backpack that sticks up to like here yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're like walking real fast, like those old people power walking in the malls. <laughs> And just, they look like they're absolutely miserable and in pain. And they are because you're carrying like, you know, 150 to maybe 180 pounds of gear and you're moving like at a, at a very fast pace. Right. So I was the guy that in the Marine Corps, when we're doing that and some guy would fall out, he couldn't keep up. I would grab his pack, you know, and I'm not a huge guy. I'm, I think right now I'm probably about 150. I was a little bit smaller back then. I would be the guy that, you know, this 200 pound guy could fall out of the hump. I'd grab his pack, throw it on top of mine and kind of like drag him up there and keep him going. Right. So this has always been my mindset is, is going to push through whatever, but this situation, I was in so much pain uh, with this health crisis that it, this was a serious test for me. And it was not just, it was not just the intensity, but it was the duration. Right. So I had this crazy pain from head to toe, from my surface of my skin down to my bones. And it was just like a level 10 right? I was in a hospital for something unrelated to this and they gave me two doses of morphine, which pretty much killed the pain. I was in there for a kidney stone, pretty much killed the pain from the kidney stone entirely. But this other pain that I've got from head to toe every day, it didn't even take the edge off of it. So I'm going through this massive crushing pain basically all day, every day, every cell of my body. And this was a, 
it was an opportunity for me to, to figure out, you know, am I really strong enough to overcome whatever I need to overcome? So as terrible of a situation as it was, I also see a silver lining in it in that, you know, I'm at a point where there's not really anything that I think I can't do at this point. Yeah. And absolutely. Health is the most important. I think most people, I mean, with coronavirus today, I wouldn't say everyone does, but a lot of people, especially my age group, the millennials, 20, I mean, teenagers to 40 Mm -hmm. to 30s, usually take health for granted. And they think they're indestructible and nothing can hurt them. And it it really is a very difficult um, thing when you get humbled like that. So what, what ended up, what was your biggest takeaway? And did it realign your priorities? What? I, I don't think it realigned my priorities at all. I, I continued working, you know, as much as I could. And, you know, as, as we kind of pulled some of the pain back a little bit, um, obviously that enabled me to do a little bit more. But then as I rebuilt the business up, I was able to, um, you know, afford various treatments and test out various things. Because a lot of the stuff wasn't covered by insurance, right? Insurance didn't have any idea, or well, the regular doctors didn't have any idea what was going on. So for the most part, they're just like, oh, well, you just have anxiety. Take an antidepressant. I'm like, that's not even an answer. So I kind of had a couple things going on at that time. One, I was, it reframed my thinking on adversity in a lot of different ways. Um, It also got me to the point where I understood how people got to the point where they thought suicide was an option. Um, which gave me a really interesting um, perspective into the veteran community. And I started doing a lot to uh, work with fellow veterans because that is an epidemic that we have. We're losing generally about 22 veterans a day to suicide. So I started being very proactive in that. And I started, you know, between just posting various motivational things online to, you know, reaching out to people that I knew were struggling. My phone number basically gets passed around to veterans. Like everyone knows that you can pass out my cell phone number to any veteran who's struggling with something like that. Um, so, so that was a really interesting outcome of this, but then also it helped me to realize that like we are so much tougher than any of us realize, but the problem is, which kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, most people never push themselves. So they never learn this. Um, there's a really great book on the topic that I picked up recently have you ever heard of David Goggins? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Did you, have you read or listened? To I haven't book? read his book. I haven't okay. read his book. I've been, it's been on my list. Absolutely. Can't hurt me, right? Yes. One of the most powerful books you will ever read or listen to. I encourage you to do the audio version of it. Um, the opening of it is just the most powerful. It's like the first 20 seconds of it is like, Oh my God, like I found my, my people. Um, so definitely check that out. But it, it, this experience has kind of showed me exactly the same things that he talks about in his book, which came out several years after my situation that I faced. But it's just that we can do so much more than we think we can. So, you know, I'm up here going through all this stuff while, you know, I've got this pain, I've got these weird symptoms in my body, I've got all this stuff going on, but I'm still out here, you know, creating a ton of content, um, teaching people how to do various things in marketing. I'm getting on stage. I'm writing books. I'm doing all of this stuff. If I can do this while facing this problem, there's no reason anyone else can't do things while they're not facing this problem. Yeah. And I think that's so important to hear that we have to, 
we, we can go beyond our means and you just have to push yourself in an uncomfortable situation. So yep. for what some people, for what I did personally was last year, I said, I want to run a marathon. I've never okay. ran before. Okay. I never did any of this. I did the training. I followed the list. And what do you know? I ran the marathon. <laughs> I was in Tampa, Florida. We ran the, I ran the Lake Tahoe, which is 6,000 feet up. No okay. one thinks about the elevation. No, I'm going that's, zero, yeah, zero that'll to get elevation, you. and it's like 35 degrees out. I've been training in 90-degree weather. But what do you know? We did it. Why? What was, your, what was your finish time? Oh, I'm not proud of that. It was like four <laughs> or five hours. It wasn't. Hey, that's good, man. It wasn't anything to gloat about. It was just more that I accomplished what it was. Yeah. And it's something that says, hey. And then the funniest part is before I'm doing this, people are like, why are you running? Why are you running? You finished the marathon. Then everyone goes, oh, running so easy for you. I go, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me. Running so easy. Oh, my God. Do you see my body type? Have you seen my athletic ability? Like, I wasn't the star athlete. Why did I get it done? Because mentally, I wanted to get it done, and I wanted to push myself. I'm going to tell you why people say that. They want to feel better about not doing the things that they're not doing that they want to do. Exactly. Exactly. And it puts these... When you do something like that or what you're doing exactly with your business, mm-hmm. people feel uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. People, and if they're not doing something of that sort, then it becomes, hey, it's easy for him. It's easy for Jeremy. He can always yeah. do that. Like He's always been a resilient guy. Right, which is why it's so important to get around the right people. Exactly. You know? I think it's, it's critical to be very intentional in who you surround yourself with. And what are some of the ways that someone – who is in college or just recently graduated or kind of starting their entrepreneurial journey, they might not have enough money to join the board of advisors. What's a way that they can do that? Well, I mean, we've, we've got this wonderful thing called the internet nowadays that we all have access to sitting in our pockets 24 seven. So it's not difficult to find people. I mean, go on Facebook, find groups of like-minded people. Um, there's a group, uh, guy named Tony Watley has a group called, uh, uh, I'm going to probably butcher it. I know he's got, it's 365 Driven or something like that as a Facebook group. He's a guy that does consulting, but then he's also got this private Facebook group as well. A lot of the people in there have that kind of mindset. Actually, I mean, most of them, that's why they're in there. But you can find a ton of groups like this. And you may find one that's just this general group that's all over the place, or you may find one that's specific to wherever you happen to live. But you can find groups of people who have that mindset and then basically start surrounding yourself with those. The people who have the wrong mindset, the ones who are always negative or always talking about all the reasons they can't do something, start to prune those people out of your life, right? I, I, I'm very adamant about being intentional in who's in my life, right? There's a couple of things. Negativity, gone. Um, you know, Somebody that's going to lie either to you or about you, gone. The people you want to have around are the people who wherever they are, right? It doesn't matter. It could be, you could have nothing, but you still have the right mindset. Or you could be at the top of the food chain. You could be the absolute top dog in your industry and still know that you can accomplish more, right? So it's not a matter of what you have. It's a matter of the mindset. Um, And you start to find these people. It's easy with social media. We can find these people, but don't just look at what they're saying, right? Because anybody can get online and talk a good talk. We want to find the people who are actually executing on their ideas. Because we talked about this earlier, you know, where you said all these people that have these ideas that's going to make them the next millionaire, 
and then they don't do anything about it, right? Ideas don't matter. Ideas have no value whatsoever. What matters is execution. So we want to look for people who have the right mindset and they're taking action towards whatever it is that they're trying to do. And then we can basically from there build a peer group of people who will hold each other accountable, people who call each other out on their bullshit, right? I've got friends. I mean, obviously, a lot of people in board of advisors are awesome for this. Um, pretty much everyone there is at the top of their industry. So um, they've got the right mindset and they're accomplishing things. And they're also the kind of people who are going to um, you know, call you out or also the kind of people that if you have this problem, you can go to them because you know that they understand what you're going through, right? Because they have the same mindset. So you can go to them with a problem and say, hey, here's what I'm going through. How would you handle this? Or here's what I'm considering doing. What do you think about this? Um, doesn't have to be, you know, a big expensive paid group. I mean, that particular group that we're talking about, obviously it's a, it's got a pretty high barrier to entry. It's a 25 K a year membership fee, but you can find local groups. You can find groups on social media. You can even just find individual people and build your own group. There's a million ways you could do it, but the, the key is just to find the right people and surround yourself with them. And then intentionally from there, uh, you know, hold each other accountable, talk through brainstorm ideas, things like that. And the one thing that you pointed out there that I really want to harp on is I would say a majority of people have cell phones yes. or some sort of internet access, in which case you don't have to, you don't have to be like, oh, I'm from this part of the world. I can't talk to him. You right. Jeremy, we haven't even, meet, we haven't even met. I'm right. in Denver and we've talked several times on the cell phone. We've talked here. We're going to continue to talk. And you just have to realize that on LinkedIn, Instagram, all of these networks, Facebook, you can reach out to these people and maybe they won't hit you back. Maybe they will. It doesn't really matter, but it's just more of you putting yourself out there. You can't say, Hey, my surroundings are, my surroundings are tough. I'm, I'm not enjoying myself. Like I'm not happy. Right. You know, that's a really good point. I want to, I want to touch on that. Uh, you know, the, the geography aspect of it, it doesn't matter at all. You're hundred percent right. Some of the, the people who have helped me the most, right. Uh, when I, when I had the health crisis and when I got to the point where I kind of got back into things, um, good friend of mine, Dave Davies up in Canada, we've met in person a few times, but for years we had known each other just through Facebook. That was it. But then he connected me with some opportunities, um, which then led to, uh, you know, me writing for search engine journal, uh, met Danny Goodwin there. Um, uh, Cheryl snap Connor met her, uh, completely remote. And then eventually, but then, you know, eventually over time, because of the things you're doing, you'll probably meet some of these people face to face. But some of my most powerful relationships, the people who have helped me in so many different ways were people that they had helped me long before we had ever met in person. And, you know, so that geography is not even a factor. And, and that's another thing that I want to talk about the value of a friendship, just because you're friends with someone for 10 years, does not mean that you know someone else. Like I might have a friend for 10 years and I might meet you for 10 minutes. We might be better friends. Yeah. Yeah. Because but it, Yeah, you go. I, well, what I was going to say is we have to be really careful in that though, right? Because a lot of us, a lot of people will see an opportunity there, right? So whatever it is, maybe, maybe somebody's got a business that you want to try and land them as a client or, you know, it's an editor at a particular publication, whatever it is, what, whatever the value that you see in that person from a, from a business perspective, we want to be careful to actually give a shit about the person too, not just look at what you can get out of them, 
but we also want to try and reciprocate where we can, right? Don't just go and see, hey, what can I get out of this person? What can I get out of that person? We have to look at it from the perspective of, you know, yes, what can I, what value can they bring, but also what value can I give back? Some of the most successful people I've ever met in the world, they're not keeping a scorecard. They're not saying, well, you know, what have you done for me lately? They're just generally going about their day, trying to give as much value as they can, just knowing that it's going to come back to them inadvertently. They're not specifically like trading favors, you know, like we see all the politicians doing. Definitely. And that's so important because no one ever got far when they go, oh, I'm in a good place and now I can't, I can't help this guy. Right. I've been helped along the way and we have to realize that. So what, I guess one last thing, because I know our time's running. Right. What, how do you remove the negative people? Because there's some people that will go in and they go, oh, new mindset, remove negative. And someone says can't and they're like, no more friend. And you're like, that's not, that's not true. There, you know, it, for some people, it's a bit of a balancing act, right? For me, I'm pretty surgical and quick to act in that, in that regard. Like if somebody, if somebody is not a fit for my life, I will just remove them. I no no hard feelings about it. Um, there's, I don't talk to a large portion of my own family because they're, they're very negative. Um, but you know, I would say generally take things like that on a case by case basis, right? Like, is the person really negative or are they just going through a really hard time right now? And maybe they need a little support, you know, um, maybe, you know, somebody just lost a business or maybe they just lost a spouse and they just see everything as the world is terrible. And, you know, that's a good opportunity to help them. But if there's somebody who, you know, for 10 years, they've just been complaining about how the system is rigged against them and they're never going to get ahead. Well, yeah, probably just cut that person out because they're, they're not the kind of people you want to be around. Definitely. And it's just something to be observant of and you don't have to take action right away, but it's something to make awareness in or around you. Who are yeah. you surrounding yourself with? Are they getting better? Or are they getting worse? And it's not a score, but it's are they trying to be the best person they can and when you surround yourself with those types of people, then now you're help, now you're a community leader. Now you have the house you want. Now you have the friends you want. You have the trips you want. You, you get it all from giving and just kind of being able to help, which is definitely huge. And you're, you're helping me right now by being on my podcast. I appreciate that. So do you have any closing thoughts or anything you want to leave to the listeners? Because your story has been all ups downs, ups, downs, you are getting knocked down and you're constantly resilient, which I attest. And I'm very uh, proud of you for that because it, it, it's you. awesome to hear. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate that, man. That's, that's, that's great to hear. As far as closing thoughts, how about this? I've got a, uh, I've got a quote that I have that I say frequently. And sometimes I say it for other people. Sometimes I say it for myself because I need to be reminded, but it is failure catches the week when they put today's comfort over tomorrow's goals. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That's very interesting. I'm definitely going to reflect on that one. Uh, but Jeremy, it's been awesome. And I really appreciate you having you on the podcast. And we'll have to do another one sometime soon. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, 
We'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.